Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. And uh, for the purposes of this podcast, you can call me Rockmeister McCool. It's a name I chose for myself. Yep. Now I have to live with it. This is why you shouldn't get to choose your own nickname. No. Yeah. No. I, didn't, I didn't choose Bibbs. Mm. I most certainly did not. From, um, now, from now on, I want you to call me Hey Jerkwad. No, don't do that. Right. Rockmeister McCool is stuck, <laughs> and we're stuck with it. Um, yeah, over here at the We've Got Mail podcast, you write in to letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Once again, the email is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, people uh, write in with their questions, critiques, uh, observations. Uh, you want to know more about... Movies, movie history, stuff we like, stuff we didn't like, uh, our favorite popsicles, like whatever it was, we we will answer those questions. And uh, we, this is actually going to have to be a slightly short episode of We've Got Mail this week, so we really just want to jump right in. Whitney, who is our first email from? Our first email is from Anthony. Hi, Anthony. Hello, Anthony. Uh, and again, if you don't want your name read, don't sign off. Yeah, we will, unless, we will, unless there's a name at the bottom, I'm not gonna. I'm we, gonna say, assume you want your name redacted. We, yeah, if it's in the email, we assume unless, mm. and it's not like you don't say, please don't read this part. Mm. We read the email. Mm. Yeah. Uh, greeting, greetings, lovers of pop and punk. Uh, having just listened to, we've got mail number forty-one. I don't know what number we're on. Uh, forty-seven. Uh, 40, now, okay. so a few weeks ago. All right. Uh, I felt compelled to respond to your discussion about music. Uh, Bibbs mentioned how popular the Proclaimers are in Scotland, and I thought I'd chime in with thoughts about that subject. At the risk of bringing up something you were already aware of, I wanted to mention that over in the UK, there was a stage musical called Sunshine and Leaf, which is built around the songs from various albums by the Proclaimers. Yep. This I knew. Uh, I've seen the film adaptation of Sunshine on Leaf and can report that it's similar to the movie version of Mamma Mia. Like the earlier musical, Leaf mixes established TV and film actors with stage performers, and the resulting quality of singing is what you would expect from such a combination. <laughs> uh, I never saw either of those Mamma Mia movies, but I've heard... Actually, I haven't either. I've heard uh, Pierce Brosnan is just awful in them. <laughs> I know a lot of people who find them both highly enjoyable. God knows I love ABBA, mm. uh, so it's weird that I actually never saw them, and I really need to get around to that yeah. one of these days. Uh, Sunshine and Leith also compares with Mamma Mia in that despite com uh, complications and conflicts, it's just completely free of cynicism. To give you an idea how far it goes to avoid being cynical, the story opens with a band of British troops singing a very soulful number while being transported along hazardous roads in Afghanistan. The scene ends rather abruptly, for a reason that you might guess. That, however, doesn't keep the movie from moving right along to the next number, where two of the soldiers from the transport now find themselves singing Dancing in the Streets of Edinburgh. Uh, speaking of dancing, I'm not sure how you feel about the aspect of juke, uh, jukebox musicals. Ah. That is, I don't know if you notice uh, big-name actors who sometimes stand out because they obviously aren't accustomed to singing and dancing. In Leith, George McKay, uh, excuse me, Mackay, whose surname rhymes with McFly, Peter Mullen, and Jason Fleming are among those who have to lead, sing lead while dancing, and it's pretty obvious that the choreographer had to adapt the dance sequences to suit those actors' abilities. The cast members do a fine job as they totally commit to every aspect of their roles, but they probably... Won't be asked to join the next installment of High Strung or Breakin'. <laughs> this leads me to wonder whose music would you like to see made into a jukebox musical? And also, what actors would you cast in that movie? Uh, just to loop back on your discussion, I'd like to see an adaptation of Men Without Hats, Pop Goes the World. <laughs> Men Without Hats, not a one-hit wonder, though. Two-hit wonder. Um, mm. I don't mean that I'd like to see a musical that includes that particular song. I'm saying I would adapt the whole Pop Goes the World album. The reason for my choice is that Pop Goes the World is the concept album that features four characters who appear in various stages on the album. All of them are mentioned in the title track. I uh, realize this is a rather narrow focus for a jukebox musical, but the fact is that we haven't had a film based on an individual album in quite a while now. Oh, well, unless you count Beyonce. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Black is King. We had that yeah, earlier this year. Just, uh, just yeah. earlier this year. Very um, interesting film. Uh, failing Pop Goes the World adaptation, I think someone should do a musical with nothing but ska. Oh, my God. <laughs> Okay, I would actually love it's that. Skank and pickle what, the movie. What you do is you do a remake of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but you call this one Save Ferris. And and it's just the songs of Save Ferris or no, all No, no, but you'll feature them. They'll, right. they'll probably be heavily promoted, but not exclusively Save uh, Ferris. I also think Whitney should review it as a mandatory assignment since he <laughs> loves that genre so much. Yes, Mr. Seibel, I am being facetious. Nice. I actually found this paragraph hard to type without shaking my fist at you. 
shake your fist all you want. That's why I'm here. I, I'm, <laughs> I am to, to have fists shaken at me. I just wanted to sign off by saying you guys are always the highlight of my podcast listening each week and that my day always brightens when I see a new episode available from Refined Gents. Love and respect, Anthony. Well, Anthony, thank you, thank Anthony. you so much. Those are very, very kind words. Um, for people who might not be familiar with the term, a jukebox musical is a musical film in which all of the songs are pre-existing pop hits. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of musicals where the songs are pre-existing songs, but they weren't necessarily pop hits. If you've ever, if you've ever seen Singing in the Rain, most of those songs had previously standards. Yeah. yeah, were standards or had previously appeared in other movies with slightly different lyrics. Make him laugh had previously been in a Judy Garland, uh, Gene Kelly film. I think it was called The Pirate, mm-hmm. uh, but it was called Be a Clown. Exact same song, yeah. exact same premise, different lyrics. Uh, but those weren't like jukebox songs. Jukebox musicals is stuff like Rock of Ages or Mamma Mia, where these are songs that had their own life and their own sense of popularity. And when they come up in the movie, you go, I know that one. Yeah. And sometimes it's well done and it's interestingly recontextualized and you really, really like it. And sometimes it sucks. We recently uh, on a, a Shakespeare podcast talked about Across the Universe, the Julie Timor mm. movie. Oh, yeah. Beatles jukebox musical. Yeah. They took all the Beatles music. Well, not all, but a significant amount of it and told a story of basically the 60s from a variety of different perspectives mm-hmm. through the lens of Beatles music without actually having the Beatles in it as characters or even a band that happened to have written all that stuff. Hmm. I happen to like most of it, but it's an odd duck. We also mentioned on that podcast an interesting film Kenneth Branagh made called hmm. Love's Labor's Lost, which took a relatively less popular Shakespearean romantic comedy play hmm. and threw in a bunch of like Cole Porter songs from the 1920s and 30s to mixed success at best <laughs> i think it suffers from its low budget it, it suffers from low budget um, and some of the cast shot on, like, are really bad sets and some yeah, of the cast just, just can't sing that's no. just all there is to it um some of them played off well some of them do not it's one of the things that happens as you mentioned in this email uh a lot of jukebox musicals tend to feature big ensemble casts many of whom are fun actors who are like oh i'd love to see so and so in a musical and then you realize oh they can't sing and they didn't dub them I don't want to watch this movie anymore, <laughs> but I'm stuck with it, aren't I? I, I Rock of know. Ages is eight hours long, or at least that's how sure it feels. feels that way. I I, um, I went to see it at a midnight show. I had to review Rock of Ages, mm. and there there was something wrong with the color file or like the color oh. decrypting on the digital projector. Weird. So we got the the previews, but everything was like blue and pink. Weird. Like it was it was like looking at it through 3D glasses and then the huh. movie started and it stayed that way. So I actually got to see the first 20 minutes of Rock of Ages twice. Oh. So making it even longer. Oh, Rock of Ages is a movie that argues that being in a band like Poison mm. has more integrity than being in a boy band. It's like aren't, a, aren't they like that's a aren't they already like so close they're touching? I, I would I would argue yes, but it's a very thin line. Yeah. <laughs> like Poison is a little higher maybe, but this is all subjective. And it's it's not a good film. Um there are good jukebox musicals, but they're hard to pull off uh for a variety of reasons, many of which we've already discussed. What would be a good jukebox musical? Well, one thing you said that I quite liked in the Anthony mm. was the idea of taking a whole album Concept album. Yeah, but not like working with the original band Mm. and uh, like using it to its own, to create a new thing. Mm. I would love, love, love to see someone like off the top of my head, Darren Aronofsky do (laughs) OK Computer the movie. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, don't get Radiohead involved Mm. at all. Just let Darren Aronofsky, he's got to use all of these songs in it. Mm. That could be the whole movie if he wants. We can add dialogue, he can do whatever the hell he wants, but it's a sci-fi movie. That's OK Computer. One of the best the, albums I've ever heard in my life. P.T. Anderson would do the OK Computer movie because he knows Radiohead. I don't want them to know Radiohead. Yeah. <laughs> I want them to do their own thing is my point. OK. That would be cool. Don't get me mm. wrong. I, I'd also mm. like to see that movie. But if I'm doing it, yeah. I want to get someone who's divorced from Radiohead is going to approach it from a little bit on the outside mm. and take this incredible concept album about computer stuff mm. and turn it into its own weird thing, like its mm. own odd entity. Yeah. What divorced from what Radiohead and mm. I mean, obviously it'll be influenced and they'll probably have overlaps, but not just what they had in mind. 
Okay. So I think that's that's the first thing that came to mind anyway. What yeah, about so you? You want something kind of like The Wall. Yeah, kind of. Mm, okay. You know, like a sci-fi version of that. Mm, golly. I, well, if, if you're going to go with like the album. You don't have idea. to. All right. You don't have to. They, they did just say like the whole, like, I almost said filmography. Songography. It's called discography. <laughs> the word is discography. <laughs> what if you have eight tracks? <laughs> Those aren't discs. Uh, but the discography yeah. of, of a musician. Like you could yeah. do... I, did they already do a Billy Joel musical? Didn't they do one? I th- yeah, I think they did. Yeah, that one, kind, a, that one kind of writes itself. Billy, he Billy did a lot Joel of songs musical. that go well together. There's a Tom Lehrer musical. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's fun. Yeah. Uh, Tom, they did a musical of the songs of Tom Lehrer. It, it never, there's no film of it. And it was only ever like off Broadway, but there's a musical out there. The Weird Al musical. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, but I'd love to see him try. Oh, it would be, be like a doomed romance. Yeah. You need somebody with like kind of kind of a twisted sense of humor. I feel like there aren't a lot of filmmakers out there with kind of a sardonic sense of humor still operating mm. in the pop consciousness. They're all very earnest. You, uh, you get Alex Winter to do it I, if if he would. Yeah, he, he would. You would not. He would kill a Weird Al musical movie. That is yeah, funny. Alex Winter. Uh, uh, I think he does documentaries now, but he also did a, a very very funny comedy called Freaked. Whitney and I are big fans. Well, of. One of the best movies of the 90s, Freaked. <laughs> I'm not going to fight that. That's, that's perfectly reasonable. Yeah. Um, um, but I'm I, anyone else who's like whole mm. like discography like lends itself well to that. Uh, I would love mm. to see uh, like a jukebox musical for music people aren't necessarily all that familiar with. Mm. Just sort of dig. Well, d- just dig into the tone of a thing uh, mm. and do do a death metal movie. Oh, okay. Just it, it's about demons. Make that death metal album cover yeah. with all the decay and horror and torture. Just turn that into a horror movie. I'm still amazed. And, and it hasn't play been a lot done. of and play a lot of death metal. Tool the, the movie. <laughs> That'd be cool. Wouldn't that be cool? I'd yeah. pay to see that. The creeping rusty meat. Yeah. Uh, anyway, if you have any ideas, uh, tweet us. We'd love to hear about it. If they're uh, if they're yeah, you want to write them an email? You can also write us an email mm. too. But uh, yeah, Jukebox musicals—they're fun. I've—I myself had previously toyed with. Uh, uh, actually, I think when I was a kid and I was obsessed with Billy Joel, I'd come up with like a playlist for Billy Joel's Greatest Hits volumes one and two, so that they told a story. But I just had like this weird <laughs> recovered memory of that. I hadn't thought about that in like thirty years. That's hilarious. Yeah, my, my favorite album when I was like in around junior high school was Faith No More's The Real Thing. That's a great album. Uh, and, That's an uh, amazing album. It, it's a really great. I like. I yeah. re-listened to it kind of recently. It had been a long time since it I had it. It holds up pretty well. It doesn't have that kind of dated 80s sound. It's actually no. just really well produced. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there were times when I thought, yeah, how do you turn this into, like, a narrative? How do you put this into a, a movie? Mm-hmm. So I guess that would be my choice. It'd be Faith No More is the real thing. Madonna would lend herself well to it. Yeah, well, she makes concept records. So she does. Sense. But, like, yeah. even to say her whole, like, discography would make sense. Mm-hmm. Like, it would work. Anyway, let's move on. All right. Uh, here's a letter from Jay Curty. Hello, Jay Curty. Hi. Uh, hello, Bibbs. And, quote, unfortunately, everyone I know is about to turn our backs on the Rockmeister McCool. <gasps> to bring up once more the topic of films in which an extroverted savior, quote, fixes the introvert by giving them, uh, by letting them go wild, I was wondering if there was examples of films or TV that instead reversed that trope and show an extrovert learning from an introvert that life is really so much better when you stay in with a good book. I know that would ultimately be flawed in the same way, but uh, some part of me would enjoy it out of uh, out of a bit of healthy spite. Uh, I recently watched A Hidden Life and found it very powerful. I never would have even known it existed if not being brought up on the channel. So I'm, I wanted to thank you for the recommendation. You're quite welcome. Mm. Hidden, Hidden Life will eventually be recognized as the masterpiece it is. Yeah. Um, I appreciate the many shows and your perspectives greatly. Jay Curti. Um, um, I feel like I've seen that. I feel like I have. Like, often, like, maybe in one of those, like, identity switch movies. Well, not even an identity switch. I, I've seen a lot of movies about two sort of mis- mismatched people who kind of learn from each other. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why this is the one that's coming to mind, but do you remember a movie called Feds with Rebecca De Mornay? With Rebecca De Mornay, I saw that movie. I haven't seen that movie it's in like at least twenty years, but like one or something. That used to be on TV a lot, but it was about like I think they were like the first two women who were becoming like FBI agents. Yeah, like the, and yeah, yeah and uh, one of them was very uh, like a buttoned down and studied really hard, and Rebecca De Mornay like kicked ass and just wanted to do violence, and they mm. taught each other things and. My favorite parts of that movie that I still maintain some images from from my childhood was that uh, 
Rebecca de Mornay, who is usually sort of the violent one, learned to calm down a little yeah. bit and learned to study and learned like how to organize her thoughts a little. That's better. what I was thinking. Yeah. Like something like Twenty One Jump Street, for example, mm. where uh, they they end up switching roles, and the one who was supposed to be the nerdy type ended up being more popular. Right. And Channing Tatum ended up hanging out with the nerdy kids and actually like coming to terms with his inner nerd. Mm. That was a uh, 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 kind of fun. What was that one um, class act with Kid and Play? I didn't see class acts. Uh, but, it, there's some, yeah. there's some really dated shit well, in it. Well, I mean, but like, it's guy. just like the, the tough kid in school and the super nerdy, like smartest kid in America. Their their files are accidentally mixed up when mm. they go to a new school, and so the super genius kid ends up in the tough kids class and the tough kid ends up in the nerdy kids class and they actually make a pretty good go of it and the they end up sort of becoming more like each other and equalizing but that's still not the same thing well and and i think i appreciate the stories like we both take issue with these ideas that uh being a little bit shy is like some kind of illness and, yeah. uh, and or being introverted being a little just, bit shy is 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 fine if you mm-hmm. want to decide you're like oh i don't want to be as shy as i am yeah but there's a difference between being a little bit shy and being an introvert mm-hmm. which is a perfectly reasonable way to live one's yeah. life and, and there's movies a, there's have a frown on that there's an extension of that where a really cowardly character is uh cured of their cowardliness by doing brave things sure. and that, that can be a really inspiring story but also it it can be done so badly that it essentially shows somebody abusing somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's like, you just need to do something dangerous and I'll just throw you off a cliff. Yeah. It's like, you could have killed me. That's not making me brave. That's just making me hate you. Yeah. Uh, that, that was a big issue I had with, uh, <laughs> of all things, The Secret Life of Pets 2. It's oh, like yeah, a, yeah. A, a cowardly character was taught to be brave, but it's not about a cowardly character who's taught to be brave. It's about a, somebody who's literally on meds being thrown off of cliffs. And yeah, that's not a way to cure anything. No, no, no. That that pissed me off too because yeah. it wasn't. It was about like basically. Oh, you have uh, you have anxiety, a, mm-hmm. a legitimate like medical condition, like that people actually wrestle with, and there's a lot of different ways to deal with that you could do that could improve your life dramatically, and it could be really really healthy. Yeah, we're just going to tell you to man up. Yeah, and that's the idea of the movie, and it's kind mm-hmm. of an unmemorable film, honestly. But like that, I remember watching. I'm like. That's not a great lesson to teach kids. It's a really hateful movie. It's, it's, I don't know about it's, hateful, but it's not a good lesson. The, the characters all hate each other in that movie. Most of them, yeah. yeah. They're, they're always yelling at each other. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I appreciate when uh, we get a story of two people who are teaching each other things. Yeah. A shy person is becoming bolder, but the bold person is learning that there's more to life than the life they've been living. Yeah. Uh, best example, a movie you and I really like and nobody else seems to is Monsters University. Yeah, that's uh, a good one. Which is about somebody who studies really hard and then somebody who's just sort of naturally talented and how they have no agency when they're operating as single units, but when they start working together and find mm. that they can teach, learn things from one another and work as a team, yeah. then they find that they actually have a talent that they didn't, a dream that they didn't know they had. When, when you look at like kids movies and they don't all have to do this, mm. but I do believe it's a missed opportunity because kids absorb so much when you show them things. If you have a kid's movie and you have a moral in it, or it's any kind of moral, mm. You have, I think, a responsibility to have that be a good moral. And I think Monsters University has exquisite, like, conversations about schoolwork, teamwork, how to process and handle failure, Mm. how to not get completely attached to only one dream and allow yourself to evolve and become different, better people. Yeah, Yeah, it's really great. It's really intelligent. It's such a good film. So glad you brought it up. (laughs) But that's a good example. That's a good example, too. Um, But yeah, I think that's the thing I can think about most is when, like, two characters learn from each other. Yeah. 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 So I I actually don't mind the shy or introverted character uh, learning to loosen up a little bit if they are also teaching somebody else how great their way of life is. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a, a great... That's the way to take the curse off of that, yeah. that trope. Maybe. Um, here's a letter from Brett. Hello, Brett. Hi. Dear Bibbs and Rockmeister McRib. <laughs> oh, dear. That's cute. I only come around once a year. Uh, first of all, thanks for being the finest podcasters this side of Arrakis. <laughs> wow. That's a big chunk of the galaxy. Thank you for that. That's a big Podcasting. Compliment. Talking too long desert planet uh anyway while i was working in a in in a house this week i stopped i stepped into an unfinished basement with old 90 uh, 90s video store movie posters all over the walls 
Uh, while there were some good ones like Gattaca <laughs> and He Got Game, uh, there were many that I had never heard of. Some of these included Two Guys and a Girl starring Robert Downey Jr. Yep. Same. Hush starring Gwyneth Paltrow. Saw, don't remember. No one remembers that movie. And Primary Colors with John Travolta. Remember that one? That was uh, Oscar nominated. That was yeah, a big deal. Yeah. Uh, these are movies I never knew existed and seeing the posters in a random basement in Manitoba <laughs> kind of made me sad. So my question is, as you both worked in theaters and video stores, what is the saddest film ever made? <laughs> By this, I don't mean actually sad in content, but it's sad in as in it is sad that it exists. It might be forgettable, it might be a really Ooh. terrible movie, nobody saw it. Oh, it's sort of like a pathetic movie. Like, maybe. oh, like you feel bad for the movie. Yeah, or, or maybe it's just great and no one cared. You seem to see... You have seen many more movies than I have, and I'm curious to hear oh, what you said. A few examples off the top of my head. Vantage Point. I like that which movie. Which you can probably fall, still find in any Walmart $5 DVD bin in North America. Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise's The Mummy. <laughs> yeah, okay, that, that, that's a good reasons. one. Yeah, that's a good example. And uh, mostly because I dragged my friends to see it in theaters for no feasible reason and wasted everybody's time and money. Anyway, thank you. Stay safe, gentlemen. Brett. Ah, oh, the saddest like, movie. That's the most, that's yeah. We, we attempted something that – it's a terrible idea. And I, I tried to push for it for years. Is this Average Fest? This was Average Fest. Oh, I, I the pitched, worst idea we ever had. I, I, well, it, it was my idea. I'll take full credit. I, I actually tried I, to – But I encouraged you. Yeah, and that was, that was irresponsible. I, I, I pitched Average Fest to Nerdist during that brief period while I was working at Nerdist and churning out like seven articles a day. It was a like, – Huge, yeah. huge amount of output I had to put out for Nerdist. And I started pitching podcasts. I was like, how about we do Average Fest? It's like a film festival for movies nobody talks about. And they said, no, this is Nerdist. We're supposed to talk about how great Star Wars is. We're not going to, like, haul up Mickey Blue Eyes just yeah. to dump on it. Yeah, It's like, well, I'm not dumping on it. I'm seeing if these things should be worth our time, even though they're really yeah. forgettable. But and, no, a lot of publications are only interested in things that are already popular. Yeah, yeah. And, and, the, uh, and the idea of... Seeing if a forgettable film is still forgettable will prove to be right most of the time. Well, uh, the idea yeah, is the idea is may, maybe you'd find a, a great gem hidden in there somewhere. But I'm willing to bet what happens in Vegas isn't uh, a gem waiting to be rediscovered. No, it's fine. I saw that one. It's, it's, if <laughs> or, you have to watch a movie with your granddad, it's okay. Like yeah, that's or, what I'll that's what I'll say. Yeah, we're we're the cultists around stealing Harvard oh, or. <laughs> like not, films that aren't even recognized as bad, films okay. that you just don't even remember. Okay, I got I got one for you. And again, I, I'm not entirely sure I jive with this premise because I don't know. I, I it, it, it it could be seen as punching down, but when you look at a film where it's just like that's a real film, people mm. worked really really hard on that, and now it's gone. Yeah, for whatever reason, the movie that comes to mind. Is the 1997 comedy for richer or poorer <laughs> with Tim Allen and was it Rene Russo? It was Kirstie Alley. It's Kirstie Alley. Right. Tim Allen and I Kirstie didn't, I didn't Alley see it, so yeah. are rich New Yorkers who who like they hate each other mm. or whatever. Uh, but then uh, uh, I think uh, I'm trying to remember if they get they're not getting witness protection or something. They had to uh, they like flee because of like income tax evasion or whatever, and uh, they end up hiding out in Amish country. So the whole movie is Tim Allen and Kirstie Alley are are like rich upper crust like Seinfeld characters who are now Amish. What a hit. You laughing yet? <laughs> this is one of those movies where like you're supposed to think of the concept and laugh and you can see the jokes. Mm. Like, oh, what what happens when Kirstie Alley like tries to use a butter churner? Oh no. Will She doesn't do it well, does will, she? Will Tim Allen successfully raise a barn? Oh no. They can't <laughs> sleep in in Amish country. They get up early. Mm. These are the jokes. <laughs> and it's a movie. I saw this movie with my grandparents, actually. They were just like the movie they wanted to see because they would. And like. Yes. They made that film. <laughs> I don't have any animosity towards it. I don't. I don't hate this movie. Mm. But it's just one of those movies where it's just like. What were the odds that this would be good? You're 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 aiming for lukewarm. Like that's like mm. the purpose of this movie is to be a movie your grandparents take you to see because they're not interested in anything else at the theater. 
Yeah. And there's something just, just a little sad about it. Mm. You know, a little bit like, oh. They were really hard on that movie. People worked their ass off to make that movie. And it's gone. Well, I, no I think, one talks about it. It's it's a little sad to me. Well, it, it, it does show uh, the ephemeral and useless nature of a lot of movies. That they're just there to sort of fill people's careers. They're just there to get mm. some work. And if, yeah. and, if, and if people see them, you know, I, I'm, there's a lot of films out there that you watch them and you can tell nobody believed in them. Yeah. Everyone, like, some Those are the ones that make me sad. Yeah. yeah. I love it when people are trying and it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. That's unfortunate, but they tried. Yeah. But then there are just movies where you're just like, did anyone think Gone Fishing was going to be really good? It's going to be a big movie or, it's a, movie or where, a boat trip. It's a movie where Joe Pesci mm-hmm. and Danny Glover try to go fishing and then bad things happen. And if memory serves, it was written by J.J. Abrams. Yeah. 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 There's, so there's, there's a lot of films out there that are not based in any kind of creative spark. Yeah. And uh, off, and if they're not, nobody's bringing passion to them, the audience isn't bringing passion to them either. They just sort of fall through your brain. I just realized that Gone Fishing is also from 1997. I don't know why I'm picking on 1997. That was, I guess, a formative year for you. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, I will say this. I will say this. It's important every once in a while to revisit movies like these are <clears throat> the the ones you you saw like posted for in that basement. Those are not all bad movies. Like Primary Colors is actually interesting, um, but uh, I think it's important to give these movies a look see once in a while, just in case maybe they are good. Like you know, a movie from the nineties that sounds totally forgettable and like a huge misfire, but is actually really really funny. Hmm. The Beautician and the Beast. I didn't see this, and I think you're lying. I'm not lying. It's actually lying, very Grandpa. witty. I'm dead serious. Mm-hmm. I think you would enjoy it. It's It knows what it is, and it's very silly. Fran Drescher from The Nanny plays a beautician who ends up... I think she becomes... I think she might have been like the, the, like the personal stylist to a fascist dictator and ends up turning his country around. <sighs> and the fascist dictator is played by Timothy Dalton. And it's actually kind of charming like i don't know how they pulled that off like it's so weird it's like one of the weirdest things but eh, they actually tried and it's funny i don't know it's weird anyway moving on i I hurt your soul with beautician on the base didn't i i I don't believe you i don't believe you grandpa (laughs) i think you're lying grandpa Uh, Prove me wrong, kids. Watch the movie and see for yourself. <laughs> Here's a letter from Frank M. Hello, Frank M. Uh, Hi. Dear Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool, uh, R-O-C Meister, K-E-U-L. Every spelling is correct, by the okay. way. Okay. Uh, firstly, in regards to comments in a recent letters episode, what is wrong with SWAT cats? <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate question. <laughs> what is wrong with SWAT cats? I believe it was Descartes who said that... Uh, <laughs> I love that. I love the. I love that show. And is it? And it is a shame it wasn't more popular. I would say the same for Biker Meister from Mars. But sadly, both of these shows get more. Uh, got more than one season, though. I would hardly. I would argue that even with what they got, that they were canceled too soon. Also, the Garfield cartoon from the eighties and nineties was fun. Yeah, well, I always loved that after uh, after the Garfield movies came out, that Lorenzo Music both voiced both Peter Venkman and Garfield in a cartoon form, while Bill Murray portrayed uh, both on the big screen. Uh, That's weird, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. That's weird. It's kind of funny. Like yeah, it's clearly it's, an accident. Like, re- maybe, maybe not. I mean, Lorenzo Music already played uh, Garfield for many, many years before they cast Bill Murray. So and yeah, but Bill played. Murray said the only reason he signed on to Garfield was because the director's last name was Cohen, and he mistakenly thought he was going to be in a Cohen Brothers movie. Oh, that's right. Well, I'm I'm sure he's joking about that. I'm not sure. Maybe. <laughs> it's kind of maybe hard to tell. Uh, on to more pressing concerns. Personally, I am a dog person. Okay. So on the flip side of the cat question, what are your favorite dogs on the big screen? Okay. As a kid, I watched Benji the Hunted incessantly, mm. but who doesn't love Max from the many Grinch Grinch movies mm. or Zero from the Nightmare Before Christmas? That's not a dog. That's a ghost. That's a ghost dog. Uh, he used to be a dog. It's fine. It's, uh, now he's uh, living the way of the samurai. Uh, Hooch from Turner and Hooch mm. and Jerry Lee from K9 would round out my top five. <laughs> Thank you for all you do. Your podcasts are always welcome. A welcome lesson, Frank M. Uh, the best dog in a movie, and I'm going to stand by this. I mean, I, I might think of a better one. Okay, actually, no. Hang on. I just realized there was a better one. Hmm. The dog from Umberto Day. 
Yeah, Flyke. Yeah. Oh, is that what the dog's name yeah. is? Flyke? There's a Umberto Day is this incredibly beautiful, sad Italian neorealist film about an old man and his little dog, and he's basically destitute he's just old and retired and can't work anymore and mm. the the like social service system is failing him and it's all yeah. him trying to live continue living while also having some sense of dignity one of the most beautiful bits of physical acting i've ever seen in any movie is umberto day seeing people like begging on the street mm. and he stands next to them and he just he's at the point where he just he puts out his hand and when someone approaches him and is about to give him money, he can't do it. And he turns his hand around like he's testing to see if it's raining. Mm. But he's got a little dog. And in the end, like the little dog is what gives him hope and makes him think that maybe life mm. is worth fighting for, even yeah. if it seems impossible. That dog is amazing. <laughs> uh, it's just a cute little terrier. That's great. Uh, but the one I was going to say before I remembered Umberto Day uh, is... I know a lot of people love Benji the Hunted. I think that was like the bigger Benji movie in the 80s. The original Benji is the is like a perfect engine of suspense. Like you could watch... I would teach this movie in a class. This dog is amazing. It's about a little, uh, little mutt of a dog who like lives in a small town and everyone knows this dog. And everyone knows... This, everyone's already named this dog. And the dog has different names for everyone it meets. Mm. And in the first half of the movie, you see the dog make its rounds, meet different people go to different stores, you know, everyone knows it. And it's particularly fond of two little kids. And then those kids are kidnapped and only the dog knows where they are. And the dog has to try to get someone in the town to believe him. Dog doesn't talk or anything. It's just like a lassie thing. And every single thing that gets set up in the first half of the movie pays off in the second half in terms of like, he's almost able to get someone's attention, but then this other thing happens and he can't. And mm. it's pure suspense. <laughs> it's so good. And the dog is an amazing actor. Mm. Benji rules. What about you? Any other yeah. ones? Um, I liked Milo from the mask. Oh, that's a great dog. Yeah. yeah Milo's wonderful. Uh, the, the, just the scene where he opens the car door is really sweet. <laughs> like the, there's a, a cop uh, handcuffed in the backseat of a car in with the dog, and they're just sort of sitting in there together. Oh, no, the bad guy's trapped us. And the dog is looking out the window. The dog uses its teeth to, like, pull the lock up, and then mm -hmm. its paw to open the, do the door. And the cop just looks and says, that's a smart dog. <laughs> that's a very smart dog, isn't it? That dog's great. Yeah. Um, um, the, the dog from The Drop. I haven't seen the with Tom Hardy. Oh, and, uh, yeah, Gay it's, Frank, it's, he just, just plays with a puppy. Or it's that it's movie, a, right? uh, uh, Tom Hardy plays a guy who works at a at a small bar, and the bar is used as a drop for like the local mafia. But his mm -hmm. boss, played James Gandolfini, gets delusions of grandeur and decides he's going to rob the joint, and it all revolves around him and this puppy he has ended up with. Tom Hardy as, like, a gruff, gravelly-voiced, laconic man with a puppy is great. That movie is really underrated, and the ending blew my mind. It's really, really cool. So that one comes to mind as well. Um, like, like that scene in The Thing where the dog turns into a big bloody mess. That's a scary fucking scene, isn't it? Uh, we would be remiss if we didn't say the Airbud movies. Yeah, Airbud. Airbud rules. Mm. Let's be honest here. Airbud. Airbud accomplished more in a couple of films than I'll do in my entire damn life. People make fun of those movies. That that first Airbud is like a real movie. That's a good movie. Yeah. It's a kids movie, obviously, and it's a weird like Disney concept, but it works. Mm. Like it's really effective. The, the, they somehow managed to organically come to the. But a dog is playing basketball. <laughs> And it works. You don't question yeah. it. Yeah. Um, uh, Man's Best Friend, starring Ali Sheedy and Lance Henriksen, where Ali Sheedy is a reporter. Genetically trying to... engineered dog monster. Yeah, she she ends up uh, rescuing a genetically engineered dog monster from a lab, not realizing that the genetically engineered dog monster has, like, superpowers and can turn invisible and gets jealous of her and decides to cut her boyfriend's brakes on his car. And at one point, he eats a cat whole, like a, like a anaconda. Like, it's a weird fucking film, but you got to respect that dog. <laughs> okay, that dog, that mm. dog, again, accomplishes a lot. Oh, what's the name of the dog from A Boy and His Dog? That dog rules. Oh, what was the, I forgot. Oh my gosh, I forgot the name of that dog. Ah, uh, I forget. I'm going to look it up. Hang on. Mm. Um, here we go. 1975. Um, I'm, I'm not a dog person, so oh, okay. I, I don't have the Blood same sort of... Blood was the name of that dog. Blood. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a, yeah. A, a Don Johnson plays like a teenager in the post-apocalypse who has a psychic link to his dog so they can talk psychically. Mm. And it's just him, like as a horny teenager, just trying to find a mate 
in the post-apocalypse, and it's super weird, and it's a fun movie, and yeah. But yeah, when when I see dogs on screen, I I don't have the sort of instinct that dog people do, mm. where you just kind of want to you want to play with the puppy and just play with it, <laughs> and play with that little dog. It's like oh, that, there's a dog. It's a cute animal. Yeah, um, I like dogs. I get that way with cats. Oh, there's kitty. Want to pet the kitty? Yeah. But yeah, I, I I watch a movie like My Dog Skip. Oh, the dog died. No. Well. That's, that's, that'll that's happen. A shame. <laughs> uh, uh, the no, I, I, no, I'll, 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 I'll create a dog movie. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah. Anyway, there's no shortage of good dog movies out there. So, uh, like, oh, dude, hmm. Asta from the Thin Man. I just said Asta. You said Asta. Yeah, I was thinking you, you weren't listening to me. I was. I, I completely zoned um, out. I was. This, uh, I was thinking about things I'd like to purchase. Hmm. Mm, I, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could really get a lot of use out of that. I've never, uh, I've, I've never owned a dog, uh, so comedies about messy dogs stress me the hell out. Yeah, it's like, oh no, a dog knocked something over and it shit on the floor and it's drooling a lot of that. That's revolting. Yeah, you you have to deal with that. I don't want a dog after watching <laughs> Turner and Hooch or yeah. Beethoven the about top these dog. Yeah, these horrendous yeah. monsters that spit on everything. Yeah, no, I I, I like Turner living, and Hooch grossed me out. Like, All that yeah. spit that was that was gross. It's like living with a, a yeah. camel on crystal meth. It's like I don't want to live with that kind of dog. <laughs> Oh, I have another one. The Ugly Dachshund. We mentioned this on a recent. <laughs> the Ugly Dachshund. Yeah, I think we mentioned this on not a Disney Plus, but it's a really sweet 1950s, maybe early 60s Disney movie mm. about. Uh, it's kind of like uh, uh, 101 Dalmatians. A guy and a dog marries like a woman and like her dog, but she has like a whole bunch of little puppy wiener dogs, and he has like a Great Dane, mm. and the Great Dane is just this old dog who just is nice and like whatever, but. The wiener dogs get in all this trouble, and the Great Dane always gets punished for it, and you just feel really bad for that dog. And that's oh, the whole movie. It's very oh, sweet. you know what? One last one, because this is definitely my favorite. Gromit. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about real dogs, but yeah, that's the great Gromit. dog. Gromit's my favorite movie dog. I'd buy that. Gromit's Gr- wonderful. Because Gromit's really intelligent. Gromit from the Wallace and Gromit movies. We recently did a You're Critically Acclaimed about Wallace and Gromit, Curse of the Were-Rabbit, mm. a movie that doesn't get talked about enough. Gromit is a wonderful dog. Yeah. No denying it. Smarter than Wallace, even. Yeah. Yeah. Wiser. More observant. Wallace is maybe the better inventor, but that's a different kind of smarts, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Here's a letter from LK. Hi, LK. Hi. Uh, Hello, Bibbs and Whitney slash Rockmeister McCool. That name looks really silly when you spell it out. Um, (laughs) I've very much enjoyed your recent, your critically acclaimed episode about queer cinema. It was cool and comprehensive, a list, but a few of my personal favorites were missing, so I thought I'd uh, give them a shout out in case your episode... uh, in, uh, to, in case you or your episode guest, B. Peterson, hadn't seen them. Uh, thank you for this. We welcome any and all recommendations that we missed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mentioned this one on a previous letter, but Lilting with Ben mm. Wishaw is a pheno- phenomenal and should be seen by more people. I don't know Lilting. But I, re- I, I remember ben the letter Wishaw. that mentioned yeah. it, but I never got around to it since. Yeah. Um, Handsome Devil is a really charming film about a young man who is gay and struggling to fit in at his all-boys boarding school and that is obsessed with rugby. His roommate is their star player, and he has a teacher played by Andrew Scott, who is lovely. Uh, God's Own Country is the one that I'm personally hung up on forever. It came out in 2017 and followed a closeted gay man who works on his family's farm in some remote part of England. They bring on another man to help out with the farm, who is uh, Romani, and the two fall in love. It's gorgeous and starkly filmed. Nice. Imagine Me and You. I know this one. I've uh, heard of this. It's a lesbian romantic comedy starring uh, Piper Parabo and Lena Hetty, and it's great. Okay. I am told in certain gay bars uh, you can stand on a table and yell, you're wanker number nine, and there will be a lot of cheering because lesbians only <laughs> have the one rom-com as far as I know. Um, weekend is a 2011 drama. Yep. It's about two young men who meet for a casual one-night stand that turns into a weekend of romance. It feels like uh, before sunset was gayer. <laughs> and I loved hearing all the movies on your list. I definitely have a few to check out. Also, Whitney, please watch Sense8. It's way better than Cloud Atlas. It is way, way, uh, way Thank better. you for all the podcasts and stay healthy, LK. That we yeah, had... I, I, I apologize that I'm never going to watch Sense8. Uh, you know what? That but bums there, me out. But there's, okay. a, there's a lot of movies I'm probably just uh, never going to watch. That's a TV show, yeah. but yeah, fair enough. I, I understand that. We, we do our best and we watch a ton of stuff for our shows. And I'm, I'm going to forgive you, but I do think you're missing out. I just want to say thank you again to B. Peterson because that was mm. one of the best podcasts we've done in a while. We've had oh. such a great positive reaction to that podcast. We had a lot of people 
tweet us, write in with more queer film recommendations uh, that we are more than happy to keep amplifying. So please keep writing in if you have more that we missed or something that maybe we mentioned but glossed over you want to give more attention to. Uh, we would love, love, love to get more of these. So yeah. by all means, please keep sharing. All right. Uh, all right. Let's find another. We got time for one or two more. Letter here. This is this is a bit shorter this week yeah. than usual because otherwise we wouldn't be able to do it. So we yeah. wanted to uh, uh, catch up some of our letters. Here's a letter from Sri. Hello, Sri. Hi. Uh, hi, Bibbs and Whitney. In your most recent letters episode, Whitney expressed that he would love to see a straight modern language, modern setting version of Hamlet. I invite him to check out a Bollywood movie from 2014 called Hi Dare. It's Shakespeare's Hamlet set in the backdrop of the 1995 insurgencies in Kashmir. It's oh. available on Netflix. Netflix has been really good about scouring Bollywood. They if have, you're, if yeah. you're into Bollywood movies, they got a pretty pretty solid, pretty selection. good selection yeah. as such things go. Better than any other yeah. streaming service that I'm aware of. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, in America anyway. Um, the director Vishal. Uh, Baradwaj, excuse me, is known for adapting Shakespeare's tragedies in the Indian cinema format. He made three such movies that I know of, Omkara, which is Othello, Makbul, Macbeth, but in my opinion, Hyder is his best work. It's a stellar movie, every department, be it the direction, the cinematography, the writing, the amazing cast of actors, it all just comes together so well. Uh, here's an IMDb link. Nice. Uh, it's just a suggestion, not an ironclad requirement. Would love to hear your thoughts if you end up checking that out, though. Thanks, Sri. That's definitely um, up Whitney's alley. Yeah, yeah. That's um, that's something you might actually make might actually yeah, try yeah. try to set some time aside for. I just have so little I know, time. I know, believe yeah. me, I know. But I'm watching the same yeah. stuff you are. Uh, and here's a, one more letter. Uh, we have one more, depending on how long it is. Right. Yeah. Uh, here's a letter from Cecil. We we, we, hear, from, we hear from Cecil every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, hi, Bibbs and Rocky. <laughs> Oh, Rocky. Um, <laughs> you have done something that most critics never do. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. He found out about my scab collection. Ew. Uh. <laughs> Don't. No. It's a Why? Little, little Adam's family joke there. Um, okay. You've earned my respect. There Aww. are critics I agree with more, but I don't respect them. I re well, even after the scab joke, I hope so. Um, I respect you, and the yeah. one thing that I hate that all other critics do is either assume that everyone has seen classic movies or get annoyed when they give spoiler warnings for things like Star Wars and Psycho. I don't have your job. I see movies when I want to, and I hate that critics think you should see, you should have seen certain movies uh, as a or as a punishment, those movies should be spoiled. Reject that sort of gatekeeping in all its forms. Signed, Cecil. Um, yeah, thanks. It's mm. it's it's interesting because as film critics, you know, we have to have what's the what's the film version of like well read, well viewed, well viewed, I suppose. Yeah. But like you know, there are certain like movies that if you want to be a professional film critic, we all have blind spots. We all have a couple of big mm. films we've never seen, but there's a general expectation that you've seen many of the big films in mm. history so that you can place films in their context, understand where they came from and how influences mm. work and how cinema from different cultures and languages operate. And there's a lot, you need to see a lot of movies. Um, it is tricky though, because some movies are so well known mm. and are so pervasive in mm. popular culture mm. that even though we wouldn't want to spoil them, we kind of have to assume they've been spoiled already. Like, yeah. I think everyone... I mean, if you ever... If you're able to go into the original Planet of the Apes without knowing the ending, good on you. Do that. Mm. Don't... Stop this podcast right now. Do it before it's spoiled, because it's gonna be. Because it's just that well-known. Yeah. And I think we try to operate within that. I think we understand that, like, you know, people know how Psycho ends, that kind of thing. But... It's also important to remember that everyone's on this journey at different times. People get into cinema at different times of their life. People are just only recently, you know, old enough to start seeking out movies. And a lot of these things are going to be new to them. Mm. So we, we, we try. But, um, you know, sometimes with the oldest and most, like, ubiquitously popular films, it's a little hard yeah, to, yeah. Uh, to avoid talking about every single aspect of the film. And we pick and choose our battles, I yeah. think. 
that that's sort of um, I don't believe you haven't seen blank or mm-hmm. how dare you not have seen blank. I, I, a lot of people I've heard say things like. Uh, if you don't like X movie, then we have nothing to talk about. Uh-huh. Even people I, I know and respect and famous celebrities have said things like, along these lines. It's like, typically hyperbolic and jokey, but yeah. it, it creates this atmosphere where you mm. feel like you should feel bad for not well, having it, seen something. It's, That's not great. It's, well, it's, it's not so much the guilting that I mind. It's the assumption that everyone is going to have the same reaction to that film that you did. Yeah. Uh, this idea that every film needs to be universally accepted, mm. uh, or rather within a certain canon. And that is mm-hmm. um, that, that's something I brush up against you know, as, as a writer who has to write for editors. And they say, can you write some like a piece on X movie? It's his anniversary. It's like, OK, I can definitely write something on it. I don't necessarily communicate to them that I don't feel any way about that movie. Yeah. It's not something I'm, it's or, something or, I've seen. Or but that your perspective you know, on it doesn't necessarily match exactly. what is considered so the that's, most common perspective. That's, yeah. that's gotten me in trouble in some place. Like, okay, I wrote this piece. It's okay movie. No, everybody loves this movie. Write about how great it is. It's like, well, you didn't assign me that. You just told yeah. me to write an essay on it. I rewatched it. I found it to be kind of a boring film. So here's my perspective. Yeah. And then they call me a dickhead for raining on everybody's parade. It's like, no, that's just my perspective. And it's a valid perspective if it's presented in a way that is reasonable and you actually have a point to make and you have observations that back up your interpretation of the text. I'm a critic. That's the way I write. I'm not not accusing you. I'm just saying, like, that's when it's perfectly valid. But when you're just sort of saying, like, that movie sucks, like, well, that's not helping anything. You may be entitled to that opinion, but that's not encouraging conversation. I I I I find it difficult sometimes to have that conversation when you're talking to somebody um and you find I think we said like Sensei for example like mm-hmm. when I found out you had never you watched like a little bit of Sensei couldn't get into it and stopped. Yeah. Um and I was like, "Oh, that stinks." Hmm. Because I love Sensei. I think Sensei right. is one of the great like cinematic accomplishments of the last decade. I think it's amazing. And um, I might balk and go, "Oh, you haven't seen that now." Ah. And maybe since we're friends, I might get a little hyperbolic about it. But Hmm. most importantly, I I want to encourage you to see a thing I like. Hmm. Or if you didn't like it, I want to say like, oh, really? I liked it. And I liked it for X, Y, Z reasons. Did you not see that? And I want to have that conversation with you. And maybe see like, what? and maybe I missed something. Maybe it does suck. <laughs> and if you have a reasonable point to make, I've, I've had movies where I'm like, I really like this. And someone points out, actually, these things really stink about it. And I'm mm. like, shit, you're right. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. I can never watch that movie again now. It's not going to be good anymore. Like, it happens. Mm. But this is part of... Movies don't exist in a vacuum. They mm. exist, like, people talk about them and share about them. This is one of the reasons why we say at the end of critically acclaimed everyone's a critic not mm. literally in your day job but if you're watching movies and engaging with movies and reacting to movies and having any conversation about movies mm. at all you're engaging in the art of criticism you're sharing your thoughts you're adding to the conversation you're you're putting your vote in it nothing else and that factors into the perception of the film the uh, sort of environment in which the film lives in terms of like people say whether it's over or underrated mm-hmm. um, and your interpretation may influence other people's interpretation this is all uh, what's it's um anxiety uh, of influence it's, <laughs> yeah. oh, it's symbiotaxoplasm is what oh, yeah. it is like just the act of interacting mm-hmm. um, it's beautiful I love being part of that. It's great. But, like, I think we have a tendency sometimes to go, oh, my God, I can't mm. believe you didn't like The Princess Bride because mm. you love that thing and maybe it defines you. But it's important to remember yeah. that it doesn't have to do that. Yeah. Like, it's okay if someone didn't like it. Yeah, just, it could just be that. Uh, always consider that your top ten list uh, will and ought to change. Yeah, over time. Uh, over yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, Mine has. I, golly, I sure hope so. Yeah, yeah, don't don't make a list at age twenty one and assume it's going to remain permanent. Yeah, there's a couple of things that yeah. are still on there, but mostly mm. it's different. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, just continue to grow, continue to explore, and uh, if if you're a critic, I mean, critics uh, tend to gravitate towards certain kinds of movies, uh, mm. depending on the critic, and they're not always going to like the same movies you like, and sometimes they're going to be a little bit smug about it. It's kind yeah. of kind of uh, just part of the language we speak, unfortunately. Mm. Um, we do what we can to engage in a little bit more of an intelligent way. Like we should be anyway. Yeah, that—that uh, that is you and I, like specifically. Oh, I, I yeah. we as critics. Like but the, the but yeah, I, but, yeah, I think yeah, critics in general ought, uh, usually ought reach out and try to get people excited about movies. Mm-hmm. 
if they hate a movie and that's their honest reaction, they try to get people not excited about movies. Mm -hmm. And this is where people start butting heads. And you know what? I think that kind of argument is great to have. I think saying just how you honestly feel and getting that conversation going mm-hmm. and continuing the conversation is the important thing. Yeah. No, it, it's not, a, not shaming or pillorying mm-hmm. people for not sharing your taste yeah. because taste but, is, is subjective. But beyond taste, I just mm-hmm. think it's important to remember that, you know, I've, we're not talking about necessarily just not liking a movie that people like. Mm-hmm. I'm also talking about not having seen a movie other people like. I proposed oh. once a, a long time ago that instead of, uh, if someone tells you they haven't seen a movie that you really like or love, mm-hmm. instead of going, oh, no, no, you should see that. Mm-hmm. Instead of doing that, I, I challenge everybody to consider this response mm-hmm. instead. If someone tells you, like, tell me a movie you haven't seen that's significant, mm-hmm. whether it's a popular or famous or classic or whatever, oh, okay. any movie at all. Just like, oh, I never saw mm-hmm. blank. Um, God, what haven't I seen? There's a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't, can't think of anything. Job right of, what's a Hitchcock movie you haven't seen? Uh, 39 Steps. Okay, you haven't seen 39 Steps. Mm. I consider it a classic Hitchcock film. Instead of me going, oh, you haven't seen 39 Steps? Oh, that sucks. Mm. What I can do is say, you know what? I've never seen Dr. Zhivago. (laughs) Okay. We can both agree Mm. that there's something we've all missed, Mm. and we can use this to commiserate and encourage ourselves to see these movies. Mm. That's the fun thing. That's one of the reasons why I haven't, like, I've seen so many classic movies that the fact that there are some that I haven't seen is actually kind of nice because I know that they're there to be found later. Mm-hmm. Like, I could, like, go nuts for, like, the next year and just see just all the major to, things. Yeah, that tune are, right into the Criterion Collection yeah. and never let go. Right? Yeah, like, just, just fill in all the holes in my... It would probably only take a year to see most, if not everything, and fit it into my schedule. Mm. But then I'd be done. <laughs> and I don't want to have... I don't want to not be able to discover classic movies that predate me. Like, mm. I want to have a few for, yeah. like, for a rainy day or, like, for an exciting assignment or something. So, it's fun. Mm. Anyway, that is it for We've Got Mail this week. Thank you, everybody who wrote in. Sorry, again, this one's a little shorter than usual. Uh, email us, letters at criticallyacclaimed.net, and we may read your email on a future, probably longer episode of We've Got Mail. Uh, thank you, everybody who wrote in. Uh, thank you, everybody who subscribes to the feed. Thank you, every one of our patrons. Especially thank you to our patrons, because without you, this show and any of our other shows would not exist right now. Uh, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. We have polls to help you decide the content of future episodes. Uh, we have a, many exclusive podcasts, including podcasts about Star Trek, Batman, Disney, the Academy Awards. We have uh, commentary tracks that are downloadable, and you mm. can exclusively get them through our Patreon. You can access a uh, Whitney's uh, uh, increasing catalog of radio dramas. I wrote and directed a three three of them that are available right now. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff on there, and we're incredibly grateful to everybody who subscribes to that. And if you can't, that's fine too. You can do a lot of other things to help support us, including just subscribe and leave us a review. That always mm. helps. Um, okay, we're also on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And until next time, sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. Is that a question? I don't know. <laughs>